Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons, joined this week by none other than Tim Torch. Uh, he's back in the saddle. You hear him uh, on select shows, especially the NFL draft show for UTH. We get everyone together uh, for those live shows in late April. We'll do so again in 2021 here. But, uh, but Tim, uh, I mean, I first of all, for this week to have you on, wanted to talk about the Cleveland Browns because uh, they've been a fascinating watch for two straight weeks in the playoffs. And uh, some of the best storylines coming out of, uh, of this past weekend was in that Cleveland and Kansas City game. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But also, I think just the Browns' skill position players are some of the more fascinating ones at their respective positions uh, in all of Dynasty. So we're going to kind of break that down. It's going to be a Brown-centric show. And again, who better to have on of the, uh, the UTH quartet than, uh, than Tim Torch here. And do want to remind folks, you can follow him on Twitter at TimNFL. Uh, you're also doing some work for Browns Wire. So, uh, and you're in that area, uh, lifelong resident. Uh, so, I mean, no one is more equipped uh, to handle the peppering and the profiling uh, that I want to do with some of these players and situations on that Browns team. But uh, what were some of your, your thoughts watching this past weekend? What has the last two-week run been like where you get the big win? Uh, over arrival, and then you go in and actually had a really good chance. It was kind of right there on the end of the diving board to steal a win against the Patrick Mahomes-less Chiefs and weren't able to get it done. I mean, what was the range of emotions over two weeks? It was amazing. It's just uh, for a lot of people who know me, they know I haven't been watching football that long, and I haven't even been a Browns fan for I've been a Browns fan for even less time. And I actually started really enjoying them when they were 0-16. Like, I, I enjoyed watching the rebuild. I enjoyed watching them uh, try to try to use analytics and have this war chest of draft picks and, and cap space and everything else that uh, kind of at their disposal. And, and the Brock Osweiler trade and, and all the other stuff that they were just really using to acquire uh, assets. And uh, this was really a culmination of things because it was just, uh, I, I feel like, it was really easy for a lot of people just to say same old Browns uh, running into running into different uh, obstacles because the COVID situation the week before they didn't have their, their head coach, their offensive line coach, they were missing. Um, they were missing players left and right, like a starting offensive lineman. And that was, that was huge. It was, it was really amazing just to watch and, and kind of the progression of Baker Mayfield as he's, I don't want to say he's a top tier quarterback, but he's, he's definitely not making the big mistakes like he was in 2019. You're seeing a little bit more of that two, uh, second half 2018 Baker Mayfield. And then this week, uh, it, the first half of the game, they were really carving up the Browns and they were just the Chiefs were carving up the Browns, and it was just one of those games where I was like, oh, this is just going to be <laughs> – you're just going to get lit up. It's going to be a situation where you really see the difference between the two teams. And then Patrick Mahomes went out. You saw just some struggles happen on offense for the Chiefs, and I was like, 
wow, this could really happen. So you, I, my, my emotion, I tried not to get too excited, but I definitely was kind of going up on the roller coaster, you know, really that, that part where you're, you're going up the hill right before you drop down and, <laughs> and that uh, third, third and 14 run where Chad Henney just, <laughs> uh, just really uh, parting of the Red the Sea, run. right? I mean, he turns yeah, the corner and there's no one there. Yeah, there was it, no it's one just there, and you're like, "Oh no," because you thought he might get the first down on that play, or if not, he's going to get really close. Yeah, it was uh, it was just amazing to see because well, Chad Henney's not exactly known for his athleticism to start with, yeah. and some of the th- passes he was throwing was probably some of the best football of his entire career. <laughs> so uh, good, and and I I did share I uh, on on Facebook just that if the Browns can't. Uh, make a stop against Chad Henney. They don't deserve to go to the FC Championship game. That that's not really where where they should be. So, uh, I think this ride overall was unexpected, given all the changes on the team and everything that they had to put in place in a COVID season. Uh, as far as like training camp, installing a new offense, new verbiage, and then actually making it to where they did in the playoffs. Uh, the last time the Browns picked 26 in the draft or, or later was 1995. Wow. What, is that Bernie Kosar? Uh, that would be right around that time. Yep. Um, yeah, it gets a little blur- blurry there. Um, I was going to, the thing that struck me like in the moment, but also looking back, it wasn't so much that, you know, they couldn't get off the field. We know about the Henny run. And then obviously, you know, the fact that they actually went for it on fourth down, iced the game there. Um, and that again, the Browns defense didn't hold. And I know that probably is going to be the focal point because that's the end of the game. But I really thought the fact that they were the Browns previous to that had the ball, touchdown, takes the lead, maybe wins the game. And they had this sequence, I think it was near midfield, where they end up, I think they, where they're in comeback mode, but they get, I think it was, they got stuffed on a run. They run two screen passes and then they punt. And yeah. there's about it, four and a half minutes left. Yeah. In and, that and that point. one, and, and again, it's not the punt part because it was fourth and 10 plus. So I, that wasn't the part for me, but it was the, you know, trying to make sure like, so get yourself in a position that you can actually go for a fourth down, make it reasonable. Right. Like, so either more of a commitment to run or, uh, again, like screens are very high variance. So I know they could bust open and you go for 10 plus, 15 plus yards, but it also has to work right in terms of, you know, if one little thing, you know, a little tip that, that gets in the way and then the receiver doesn't get a good look at the ball, uh, it could end up blowing up for a loss. Uh, it could get tipped up and get intercepted. There's a lot of variance to that little specified play. And I really thought that, you know, run a crossing route, do, do something or, or run twice instead of once. Like I thought there was a lot more variety they could have had. And I just really didn't like the fact that they did that and then punted the ball away where it felt like that was the chance for them yeah usually where they've been seeing success over the season is where they've had Jarvis Landry in motion and then right kind of that pre-slant motion and then he's doing some type of crosser and getting into the open field but uh, for for whatever reason they they drew up something a little bit different and the one thing I'll say about screens unfortunately with the team they do have uh, two good running backs that that do well with screens, but unfortunately just overall explosiveness is not uh, that that's really what's lacking. It's unfortunate because when Kevin Stefanski came to the Browns, a screen, he was really known for the screen game. Uh, He got, 
Adam Thielen and Steph Diggs in, involved in screen games frequently when he was in Minnesota, but he just didn't really have the horses or the time to put in the offense the right way for, for the Browns to get that type of the game of game going. I think it could have been a very different story if OBJ was still there. Yeah, I mean, talk. I mean, that that seems like forever ago. But the fact that they've been without him, they, they've needed Donovan Peoples-Jones. Rashard Higgins has stepped up, uh, but it just hasn't been the same. You know yeah. that you forget you don't your, have front, that your front line thoroughbred, right? And, and we were kind of you know talking about how, uh, you know, I mean, he's coming off a down year, and we'll we'll get to Beckham in a minute. But just that, you know, he hasn't really been himself, so to speak. But he still would have provided a, a new and dynamic aspect to that offense that they really were trying to cobble together without him. Well, you um, did see it during the Dallas game, and, and right. granted, it was against Dallas, but but I mean, that's that's what you can see. That's what a, a number one wide receiver can do in terms of drawing coverage and really pulling people in. The one thing uh, non Browns that I wanted to include uh, that I thought was noteworthy news wise was Michael Thomas. Uh, the report coming out that he's he's likely to have multiple surgeries with his high ankle injury that he was playing through it, not practicing pretty much even after he came back. Uh, you know, trying to be a part of Drew Brees potentially. You know, this run that could be their last one, going to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl. Uh, huge aspirations there for the Saints, and it, it was. I mean, you saw Michael Thomas that largely was not the same. And when something like this comes out, it always, to me, it's almost expected because some of these players that you've seen them perform at a high level, and there's not really a big reason to say, oh, well, now they're 36 years old and they should be eroding and all of these things. When they don't look like the same player, that's usually when something's going on, right? Like I think back to yeah. Devonte Adams played through an ankle years and years ago. And a lot of people got off of him because it's like, Oh, you know, he's playing, he's doing nothing. And I, I think Ezekiel Elliott wasn't healthy this year, but what's, what's your thoughts on Michael Thomas, where if you're looking at an environment with the saints of no drew Brees, and could that mean Taysom Hill's the starter? Is it James Winston? Is it somebody else? Um, but you get Michael Thomas healthy coming back. He's going to be 28. Where does he kind of fit in the hierarchy for you? Are you one that you say, look how dominant he's been, and I'm going to double down on that because now he's much cheaper? Or do you say, uh, things are changing and he's coming off a down year? Yeah, this is, this is probably the territory I like to live in uh, as far as those discount quality guys. And um, just a shout out to the show that you did this past week was uh, about the quarterback regression. And you had mentioned a couple of guys specifically that had profiles that were, that were down for different reasons. And, and that's just generally where I like to buy because um, as Jordan, I, I think, points out pretty frequently, when a wide receiver establishes themselves kind of in that higher-end higher group, they're, they're more likely to repeat. And, and I, I feel very strongly the same way because just when you have a thoroughbred wide receiver, it's so easy to, to just have those guys or buy into those guys. And I feel like the price is probably going to be pretty cheap given this, this rookie class that we're going to be going into. I wouldn't be surprised if you had somewhere in the like 105, five to eight range, if you might be able to almost do a Michael Thomas straight up at some point during this off season. Wow, feels a little yeah. bit, feels, it feels pretty crazy to say right now, but if you start flashing some names around like Devontae Smith, which we know people are going crazy for right now, uh, Jamar Chase, granted, we may not do that. I, we may not advise that trade specifically, but when you start flashing those names out there, people are like, huh, I, I can get however many years younger, six, seven years younger. And then 
and they're like, oh, I can just replace that. But as you and I have talked about so frequently on on Patreon, uh, I, I think specifically last week, it's not just about that age difference that really matters. It's about you had mentioned the the two lineup rule that you have where where it's what does your roster look like without this person in? <laughs> what does it look like with your with this person in your lineup? And I gave the example of Travis Kelsey. And and if you do something similar with Michael Thomas, it's it, no matter who the quarterback is, I feel like in a normal year, you're probably still going to have right around 100 receptions for Michael Thomas, given the Sean Payton offense. And uh, whether it's Jameis Wins- Winston, uh, Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston had a great pass <laughs> this past week. I, it was crazy. They split him out wide and then ended up uh, throwing the ball back to him. And he, uh, who did he, Traquan Tra- Smith, he hit deep for a touchdown. It's just amazing. Um so I do feel that Michael Thomas is a value going into this offseason, and I would definitely be willing to explore in your league. Granted, I said the 105 to 108, but as we say so often, just kind of test that out a little bit. I'm not saying that's going to uh, hit in every league, but it, it's also a great area to work if you could uh, trade someone like Allen Robinson for, um, because he's going to be likely on an upswing. People are going to be hoping lands with a good quarterback. Uh, Allen Robinson for Michael Thomas plus a little bit of juice or something, something like that. I, I feel there's a little bit of wiggle room where you can get that nice little slight upgrade on the back end. Yeah, I was looking at this, and I mean, Michael Thomas, you're, you're telling me you're getting a guy that's already had four wide receiver one seasons, and you're getting him for, you know, a low, you know, probably t- wide receiver 8, 10, 12, 13 off of a, off of a dynasty board, uh, you know, in a startup draft environment. And, you know, if that's the applicable trade market, like you're saying, I mean, something uh, non, you know, non-elite first round pick uh, from this year. And looking at it, I mean, so the fact that he has four wide receiver one seasons, I mean, the only guy back to the 1990s that stuck on four was Anquan Bolden. You know, all the other ones are still active. So we'll see, you know, AJ Green probably doesn't get another one, but Tyree Kill, Michael Thomas, they're at four, and they're likely to get five, you know, and, and you just keep going. The odds are so pronounced that if you, if you have two, three, four wide receiver one seasons, your odds are strong you have another one. Now, obviously, you are going to get every step of the way uh, guys that stall out, and that's all you have. But they have a profile of dominating targets and dominating an offense enough for multiple seasons that that's going to continue until further notice. And I think that's probably the phrase that people need to use. And so for Michael Thomas, he's not... The, the one thing is, and this, you know, we kind of talk about this uh, on the Football Guys show a, a decent amount, is like, who are you building your roster for? Because Michael Thomas, if you draft him or trade for him, he's going down in value. Now, value meaning, uh, you know, trade value. But your roster value, he's not going down, right? I mean, he might be good for another three wide receiver one seasons or something. Uh, but, but he, he could still be dropping that entire time in market value because he's 28 coming off of this year, whatever he does next year, I, I would say it doesn't matter that much because he's not going up because he's going to be 29 and it's a young pedigreed wide receiver group right now with a lot of young stalwarts that have started producing. 
and probably not to Michael Thomas's level in 2021. But the point is, people are going to chase that. And people are going to value that, especially when Thomas is going to be 29 next offseason. Um, so again, yeah, this is the, the Keenan Allen type bucket, Mike Evans bucket, uh, you know, that you can gravitate towards in one year. It's probably going to be Devontae Adams bucket, DeAndre Hopkins. All these guys get to 28, 29, they start slipping. And that's when you can find some, some pretty robust values. And Thomas feels like he has two or three things working in his direction to get a lot of discount. Uh, and it's already started. Like I said, I mean, he was wide receiver one, two in dynasty. And now you're seeing him at wide receiver 10 or so. And I think no matter what he does, he's going to be wide receiver 12, 15, 18, something like that next year in 12 months. You just have to ask yourself, are you, you should be okay with it. But if you're not okay with slipping market value, he's definitely not the guy for you. Now, if you're one that I'm going to get him and I'm blending that, I still have some young, young wide receivers otherwise. And like, if that's you, and that you're going to blend your roster together. Um, he's going to be a producer type, and you're going to have some other younger guys that could be your, your flashy types, your upside types. Then, then I think it's going to work very well when you blend those together. I, I think just one more kind of notch in what people are going to start talking about uh, outside of this platform is that he's going to be 28 going into next season. And, and of course, the question are going to be, how many more, as you kind of alluded to, how many more productive seasons does he really have left right. under his belt? Well, the the honest answer is probably he could have three or four more <laughs> pretty right. pretty damn productive seasons. Well, he doesn't rely on over athleticism exactly. anyway. He's just a he's a get off of me. What is it? Can't can't guard Mike. Uh, you right. know, fifth. I mean, is he? It's it's quasi rhetorical because I think the answer is yes. Is he the is he the best possession receiver inside of fifteen yards in the NFL? Got to be. Yeah. So, I mean, and, so, and the fact that he just dominates that, is, I mean, he's not going anywhere. And I mean, the Saints not uh, centering the offense through him still, it would just be, you know, a little befuddling. Um, so let's get to the Browns. And can, can we start out with uh, just, I want your rapid fire reactions to a few contract situations that I wrote down. Um, so Baker Mayfield, the questions I wrote down, does he get the fifth year option for 2022 or this offseason, does he get a new contract that includes fifth year and beyond? What, what do you think his stat, or do they play him through it because he's still sort of on that TBD timeline? At, the, at this point, the, those are the real, two really big options. I would prefer to see them uh, try, to, try to at least gauge the, the interest of, of signing a new deal. I always feel like when they get ahead of these uh, these signings with quarterbacks a little bit, a little bit early, it works out in the long run. I, I'm trying to think of guys like, uh, not, not necessarily Carson Wentz, uh, but, but uh, well, <laughs> at some point those deals get a little bit better. I'm thinking sure. of like uh, Aaron Rodgers because you were able to sign him so early multiple times, right. and then uh, Matt Stafford. You they don't you get kept cheaper getting the point. Yeah, exactly. The The longer you wait, you're just going to be running up against more guys that are, as soon as Baker Mayfield signs, even if he does have like a top tier contract, there's going to be someone directly behind him signing a bigger contract. So, so you'd rather do that than the fifth year option, which would lock him in for 21. He's already locked in for 21, but that would, I mean, this is the off season. You have to do the fifth year option that would lock him in for 2022. Yeah, I've, I've changed my tune a little bit because towards the first half of the season, I really had strong reservations about Baker Mayfield. I understand the offense was transitioning and probably I should have given him a little bit more leeway, but I was seeing a lot of boneheaded decisions that I didn't think a franchise quarterback should be making. 
However, okay. uh, second half of the season, I, I've been more than impressed um, just with how he's uh, really conducted himself, how he hasn't been – there's two things. He hasn't been turning the ball over as much, but when I watch him throw the ball, I remember so many misses he would have high. It would be completely completely off target and wasn't anywhere near his guy. I felt like he really reined that in and was just putting together a really solid performance the second half of the season. I, I had very few questions where I was just like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> and this is something that was a little jarring for me. Now, again, rewind to early in the season, and it looked better than this than obviously when Odo Beckham wasn't playing. But I was surprised to see that you have Odo Beckham and you have Jarvis Landry. They combined for about $30 million yes. per year in salary <laughs> Crazy, right? over the next two seasons. Right. And the start of 2021 it would be in doubt with Odo Beckham. We'll see about his ACL recovery. But he's wide receiver seven in the NFL for his cap hit. So he's a lock for the roster in 2021, but there's no dead cap lift, uh, dead cap left in 2022 and beyond for his contracts. And then you have Jarvis Landry, who has a low dead cap in 21 and 22. If Cleveland were to decide to move on from that 14 plus million each of those years, for a run centric team and for a running back and tight end centric sort of offense and approach, that seems like an exorbitant amount of money for those two guys for how much even when, if they're playing well, how much they'll likely get used compared to other teams where, you know, if you tell me Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley combined where it's $30 million, be like, well, I, I see that with how Atlanta plays. Like with the Browns, they spent on two, like they, they have two running backs that are kind of the focal point. They spent on Austin Hooper. <laughs> like I, I just, it doesn't make sense a little bit versus, you know, they're both top 10 salaries at the wide receiver position in the NFL. And I'm sure they'll fade down a little with this offseason, you know, guys like Allen Robinson, et cetera. But the point is very high compared to their usage. Yeah. Something's got to break this offseason. Um, especially is that Landry if you gone? Is that like, well, like, what do you think is the actual, if something happens, what is it? Oh, I've, I've heard so many, so many of these, um, especially if you're, if you're a little bit more dialed into Brown's Twitter, um, because, because the, the conversation tends to be around, is a possession receiver worth it in, in Jarvis Landry is sure. I think what everyone keeps really holding on to is that he's a locker room guy. Like he's been a good part of the reason why the Browns like internal locker room has shifted so much. So what is the dollar amount of that really worth if, uh, because he's essentially like a player coach and, and that's where the real, real rub is because you can't afford to keep paying both of these guys and pay, in pay uh, Baker Mayfield, and then you have the all, whole offensive line. Wyatt Teller, who PFF has has had as the lineman in the NFL this this uh, season, uh, you you just can't pay everybody. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to be Landry that goes. Is he going to go this off season? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think they're going to start clearing the decks here pretty quick. Well, because yeah, like if you said, if they're going to negotiate now and not sort of you know prolong this another year or two with with baker mayfield then then yeah like you said something's got to give and they don't have a lot of places i mean beckham is pretty much immovable you know right now for 2021 with the dead cap so so yeah landry feels like the one um so let's go back you know kind of quick hit this you know by by player by position if you will that you've got you got baker mayfield who bounced back this year um 
what's your what's your dynasty assessment of him? You know, one quarterback super flex of like sort of where he stands now and and how things maybe look different than they did 12, 24 months ago. I would put him in the in the um oh uh Kirk Cousins type of type of territory. He's he's just right around that QB twelve to fourteen range. Like he's not someone you're gonna be super excited that you're starter, but he's gonna be just uh, good enough to be a really quality quarterback too that you can rely on. Sometimes he'll give you a little bit of rushing, not too often, but he's going to be just someone who can, who can at least give you a decent floor to put in that position. Do you think he has the upside of Kirk Cousins? Yeah. Okay. It I, just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. Because Cousins has two top six seasons, and Mayfield hasn't really sniffed that yet. So, I, I would be curious if those. I, I mean, more Kirk Cousins right now. Um, Cause I, oh, okay. Yeah. I, the last two, I, I, two, three seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Kirk cousins has been a top six since he's been in Minnesota. Yeah. The last three years he's been 12 to 15, sort of that. Right. that type yeah. Of that, that's kind of what I meant. Okay. Yeah. I'm, uh, I am notably down on Baker Mayfield <laughs> and, and a lot of it is that just to me, it's about ceiling and that, ha- uh, that floor has a role. Like, do I think in a year or two, he still has a starting job? Probably. Um, is it a lock? No. I mean, this was type of kind of an outlier year for him because I mean, especially with the interceptions, I mean, his interception rate, um, and I track it per incompletion, it was 3.1% lower, which is huge. It's the biggest one in the NFL of the difference from his career rate to what happened in 2020. And to me, like he's the other guy, like the sample size is bigger on the other side of this number than the 2020 side. So it's not like he was a first year starting quarterback or second year or whatever, but like, like to me, that was a, that's a big number. And so again, of all of the 38 quarterbacks that to qualify, you know, of a decent sample size this year, he was the most below his career rate. And I, I just, for guys entering year four, which that's where he's going to be for 2021, without a top 12 season. And he's had some, uh, obviously, QB2 level seasons. But now, even the 101s of the NFL draft, they're about a 25% bet to get to top 12. And that, to me, isn't very good. He's got some heat right now, partly because of the Browns' success. It's a bounce-back year. He sort of has that momentum factor. But, man, I mean, pretty much the only guys that have, from, since the 1990s, that have turned into top 12 guys going forward with a similar start Drew Brees, and I think we can say he's not Drew Brees. And then Alex Smith had one rogue year uh, deep in his career uh, when he hit that sort of stratosphere. So I just, I think Superflex is going to be where you have the decision and start one. Quarterback, especially in Mayfield zone, is pretty low stakes. So if you have him as your backup, you just sort of shoulder shrug and say, whatever. Or if you've got him in a committee with somebody else, you're like, oh, all right, I'll play some matchups. And like, you know, you'll probably shoot for some upside at some point with a rookie or, you know, maybe you'll make a trade to upgrade if you're a contender trying to get uh, a higher level veteran that has some real upside. You know, Aaron Rodgers was a good example this past year of people trying to uh, target, maybe you target Dak Prescott or, you know, something like that. You could, you could find more upside for a low price, but I think Superflex is where you have to make a big decision on Mayfield. Um, and I think there's some, I, I wanted you to weigh in on, on some of these trades I saw in Superflex for Mayfield because you're, you're, you're more bullish than I am. So I just wanted to kind of see if where's the line here for you. Uh, Mayfield and uh, Sammy Watkins for Jordan Love, Antonio Gibson, and a third. Oh. 
So if you've got a couple other good, decent quarterbacks and okay. Mayfield sort yeah. of in that mix, let's say he's your QB 2-3, is this the type of trade you would consider? Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yes. Um, and then how about in a – this is a two-tie end league. We've got Baker Mayfield, a third and a fourth for Devin Singletary, Marcus Valdez-Scanling, a second, and Irv Smith. Oh, I, this is still super flex? Super flex, two-tight end. Oh, I, I would still take Baker Mayfield. Okay. Yeah, that's the one that was quizzical to me. I'm not a big Irv Smith fan, so I wanted to see if, if you were higher on him because he obviously is. Just for some, he's top 10 to 12 at the position. He's not for me. But if he is like tight end 10 for you and a two-tight end, then I think this one becomes interesting. Um, and then finally, uh, two guys close to, close to home for you, Baker Mayfield for Joe Mixon. Oh, I think you could get more on on the uh, Baker Mayfield side. I, I would still uh, market market value is always what I would look at here. I feel like Joe Mixon is probably going to be a little bit higher than Baker Mayfield, and you could probably get a little bit more juice there. But I, I would still probably prefer the Mayfield side because I am I'm just dropping Mixon like a rock. Oh, are He's, you? Okay. Yeah, it, that's a tough tough one for me to buy into. I mean, unless the discount's really there, it's got to be like a super crazy discount. Okay. Um, all right. What are your thoughts on Mr. Nicholas Chubb? You know, it's just overall, um, I would love to have him or Kareem Hunt as a running back too, because specifically because I, I think any given week they could both one or both could give you like 20 plus points. Uh, but the problem is any other week, they could really put up a stinker for you. It's uh, It was nice towards the end of the season, you started seeing Nick Chubb being more involved in the in the receiving game. Uh, I was actually pretty surprised about that, especially against the Steelers. Uh, they got, got him on a screen that went for a long touchdown. It, it, it's just nice to see that that's in the bag of tricks that they're willing to pull out. It, it's just how often that type of stuff really happens. And also the nice part is that if something were to happen with Kareem Hunt, then you just really know what that upside is. Unfortunately with Nick Chubb, I mean, we're talking about a guy that could, you know, push for the NFL lead in rushing yards any given year. And yet you just use the caveat. Well, if the other guy is out, like that's not, that's not really what you want to hear. Right. I mean, you don't hear that with Christian McCaffrey or Jonathan Taylor or, you know, Barkley, when he comes back, Alvin Kamara, um, so you're not going to hear it with, with other guys of that, you know, Dalvin cook, you don't hear it with guys like that of like, well, hopefully the other guys out. So that, yeah. that would be, that's uh, like one thing that, that it was stark. Um, and there was that show, uh, I think we, we discussed, I think it was running back roundup where we went through, you know, uh, Oh, uh, running back Festivus. We're talking about all the things that disappointed us <laughs> on, yeah. on each depth chart. It's like a month ago. And, uh, and I think I pulled this stat out then or, or something close to this where it was, uh, just the fact. So Nick Chubb is 14th in the NFL in rushing attempts, but 67th in targets mm. among running backs this year. And last year, uh, when you have Kareem hunt that played half a year, basically, uh, Chubb was running back three, in rushing attempts, but then run, running back 21. So still, again, he's been a carry-centric guy. And Kareem Hunt showing up and still being there, and st- he's going to be under contract longer than Nick Chubb. I mean, he's under contract for two more years. So this is a Hunt's a 2023 and free agent, Nick Chubb 2022. So this is not going away. So 
I like what you said about, you know, I like either one of them as my running back too, because they're a lot closer in points per game than the Nick Chubb fans would like for sure. And, you know, Hunt is used a lot of times when they get in the red zone. He's used a lot in the receiving game. And like, there's just so much that stunts Nick Chubb based on them having Kareem Hunt. And this isn't going away. And Chubb's age, he's going to be 25.7 this coming year. And, you know, he's on the older side when you look at a lot of the top 10, 15, 20 running backs that are 22, 23 years old. And that's a big difference. Two, three years at running back land is a big difference. And when you say Chubb has this usage ceiling, and I think he's going to have a ceiling of, is he ever going to get to a top five season? He's going to get to a top five season whenever it matters, like in the next couple of seasons, because then he's going to be 27, 28 years old, and there's going to be some massive age discounting going on. So I have a lot of questions. Um, I think that for I'm below market on Nick Chubb. I like him as a player, but I think there's a, I mean, I have him outside my top 12, which I think might surprise some folks, but I just think there's a lot of 22, 23 year olds that have really quality resumes. And there's a lot of 25, 26 year olds that don't have these questions. Yeah. It's, I I think the part that gets a lot of people is uh, I think a lot of running backs coming out of Georgia were younger than you expected, like DeAndre Swift was pretty young coming out. Right. Uh, Todd Gurley, when he came into the NFL, he was a little bit younger. Sony Michelle, I think, is the exception. But when you think of Nick Chubb, he he was not one of those early guys. He came out kind of right on time. And um, I think he came out at 21, 22 already. So by the time he gets to that second contract point, he's going to be 26, 27. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that that just really saps all the all the longevity out of a running back in and he has his own question marks. I mean, don't I, I know he's he's one of those guys where you look at next gen stats and he's always towards the top of one of the fastest runs of the week or or something like that. But he went through a pretty significant injury of his own, and and I don't think I'm willing to just turn my head at that, especially after the swift decline we've seen from Todd Gurley. Yeah, I think some of the decisions in terms of the hierarchy of running back and just. Uh, assets, you're going to have to decide is Chubb versus, let's say, 101 in a non-superflex league, which that'll be, you know, the top wide receiver. That could be Travis Etienne, Najee Harris. So that'll be a decision. Uh, Antonio Gibson, Derrick Henry, who's older, but you would say, you know, doesn't have some of these question marks. David Montgomery. I think all these Chubb versus are good, good questions and interesting decisions that folks in startup drafts or in the trade market are going to have to decide between. Um, I thought I actually saw Nick Chubb and DeAndre Swift straight up trade in the last couple of weeks, which I thought was interesting um, on both sides. What side are you on on that one? Swift. Okay. Sure. And then another one I thought was interesting was Nick Chubb and Denzel Mims for Alvin Kamara and a second. You've got to really be a Mims fan there. Um, but Kamara does have some questions, you know, going into this offseason. Um, he's a little older, but it's not really a, a noticeable difference there with Nick Chubb. Um, yeah. Um, any final thoughts on Chubb? Yeah, it's um, I, 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 if I had him, I would probably explore the trade market just to, just to see what that looks like. If, if you're right around the 101, uh, probably in this class, more like one uh, in a super flex league, 102, 103, so you can get that top running pack. That's, that's probably what I'd be willing to sell for. And my guess is you could probably get a nice add-on piece to that as well. Okay. Um, running out of show here, um, of the other players uh, for the Cleveland Browns, whether it's Beckham, Hunt, 
Landry, Hooper, Najoku. Uh, who would you like to, to focus on so we really give them um, some, good, some good love and scrubbing? I, you may not like it, but I think Joku is, is just someone that <laughs> I, I think deserves the love. Yeah, let's um, give him some. I, I personally feel like the Browns made a mistake bringing in Hooper. Uh, David Njoku was was probably uh, had his best season as a pro this year. He had flashes before he was injured last year of really taking that next step. And um, I, I would like to see the Browns move on from Hooper and and kind of install uh, install uh, Joku as the as the tight end one on that team. Man, you are. You know, you're you're saying the phrases that pay, man. Uh, th- this is exactly what I think. That that why do you draft a you draft a first round tight end to get all the juice from that? You know, as long as you can before a new contract, and they're still in that window, and yet they just backed up the Brinks truck. And like you said, offensive line, Baker Mayfield. What are they doing at wide receiver? Uh, you know, they got a number of thing hopper hopper items uh, with contracts, and yet now they got this albatross of of Austin Hooper where. You know, he's a roster lock basically for yeah. the next three years with their dead cap situation. Sure and yet is. He still doubled down and got Harrison Bryant. Like, see, that's the thing. Like, so you make a good pick in Harrison Bryant, but guess what? It doesn't matter because you now you have Hooper for an egregiously high price. I will say Austin Hooper made one of the what two best catches. Oh, that was crazy. Yeah, one inch. <laughs> he, got, he, got, he got two edges of his of his uh, his gloves on that. And it was a big play too. Um, but. Again, he's closer to just a guy, you know, in terms of impact. And I just remember all the all the fights Key and I had on Austin Hooper versus Hunter Henry in that draft class. Um, and I, I and the trump card I always used was, well, I can get Austin Hooper later. <laughs> like that was that was always my <laughs> thing. Like at least I'll get him later. So even if I'm wrong, I spent a lower pick. But who knows? I, that thing has oscillated back and forth five times since we since we had all those fights. Um, but but yeah, man, uh, David Joku like. First round tight ends that don't turn into top twelve yet, they still have really good odds. Hayden Hurst is in that bucket. David Joku's in that bucket, and Joku looked good this past week. He had a couple. Like you start the game and you're like, "Who's the guy with the big tight end contract?" <laughs> Not this guy. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like he, to me, he is a very good buy in, in one tight end and two tight end because, I mean, you can get him for ideally you get him for like a fourth in a, in oh, a yeah. one tight end. I saw him dropped in a couple spots where it was like twenty four man rosters later in the season so you can get him for free um you know you pair him with another tight end that's probably a little more startable and he's like your stash guy and if you gotta throw him in we had a league where we started him a couple times this year as mm-hmm. just a complete dart throw because you know because he's getting used around the you know around the goal line so but i think in two tight end is where the pedigree and the probabilities are in your favor that if you can get him for like i'm just speculating i didn't see any two tight end trades with him but like if you can get him for like maybe a late second I mean, that sounds, if he's going for like a mid third to a fourth in one tight end, I would think later second is probably about where he lives in a two tight end league, but he still has good odds to, again, uh, you know, I mean, the consensus right now, I think is closer to tight end 30 and I have him around tight end 20 and tight end 20 people might go, are you at categorically nuts? Um, just, but, but again, the juice the round, is there. there's the so much juice. Guy, yeah. Like he, <laughs> He's that classic late bloomer. He came in and everyone said, oh, he's raw. You know, he's going to need some time. Well, guess what? Now he's got time. He's going to be mm-hmm. 25. He's still going to be just 25. This He's younger than Mark Andrews. 
Like, so I just, <laughs> I just, I don't think people are giving him enough time. And I know people buried Eric Ebron and he's on a slower track than Eric Ebron. And he probably does need a team change. He probably will get a team change. It's probably how this plays out with Hunter, uh, you know, Harrison Bryant there. And the fact that they can't get out from under Austin Hooper, something's got to give. And unfortunately it's probably going to be Joku moving on. And unfortunately Tim's probably going to see him play his best ball somewhere else. Yeah, I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier the the idea of explosiveness and trying to stretch the field a little bit more, and that's that's really where I would like to see them go. And, and I mean, jo- Njoku was just such a he made such a leap this year, and um, to start the season he was requesting a trade. I knew that wasn't going to happen because there was zero value, and they they couldn't have got anything for him going into this off season. I'm expecting him to once again double down on that and say trade me, trade me, or or I'll sit out next year. Unfortunately, that's just kind of where it is. But he he is kind of a he is a key. He he's just one of those players that that I would love I love having on my roster. Uh, Jordan and I also have him in a spot that uh, Jordan is not a fan that I, I, I went with him over uh, over someone else uh, pretty early in a tight end premium draft a couple of years ago. And it's just one of those things. I, I, I see what he can do. This year he really started putting a lot of things together. And um, I, I hope he does get an opportunity in or out of Cleveland because um, I think the guy can ball. He's he's great. He's a lot of fun to watch. And uh, now that it is the off season, uh, where can folks find your additional content? Uh, we already mentioned on Twitter, but you, you're on Browns Wire, and you also do some consulting work. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't do much consulting work during the off season. Okay, uh, but I but I do help out during uh, during re- redraft season with. Uh, uh, draft day consultants. So that that's always a lot of fun, just meeting new people and uh, helping them through their redraft leagues. Had a lot of a lot of winners this year. Uh, a lot of people made it to a championship game. So uh, so that was a lot of fun. And Browns Wire is the other place. I I do have a lot of fun talking about the Browns. I think that's I, I kind of mentioned Browns Twitter earlier. There's a lot of smart people in there, and I I definitely don't take the cake for being one of the smart people there. But it's just a fun place to hang out. Excellent. And uh, Tim, we'll, we'll mix in on this show uh, from time to time, but you can find him every single week pretty much over there at uh, patreon.com slash UTH. Uh, we do the weekly feature podcast together. We've been doing that uh, for a while now. Um, it's been at least since the start of this season and then probably even beyond that. Uh, but there's a, a ton of stuff we've been doing. I've been doing some bonus podcasts during the playoffs of pretty much doing like a, a film notes recap uh, of, of every playoff game. And then the team that lost, you know, kind of doing an off off-season preview um, show. And I'll probably do that again this coming weekend. Uh, there's a, a VIP chat that you can be a part of at one of the higher tiers. I do some VIP strategy sessions uh, a couple times a month in the off-season, just some bonus content and, uh, and additional avenues to get more uh, UTH and get a whole lot of Tim Torch and myself, especially on that that weekly show where where folks uh, vote on on topics. And we do the waiver wire in-season and in the off-season, obviously we can uh, roam uh, with with a lot of just kind of macro dynasty topics, and I'm sure we'll also get into to a bunch of rookies and uh, startup drafts and all that type of stuff between now and the NFL draft. So you can find us there. 
Uh, and again, that's patreon.com slash UTH. And of course, uh, flagship, become a general manager plus subscriber. Get uh, all the 250 plus premium podcasts that uh, UTH offers at UTHDynasty.com. And uh, again, all the rankings are updated. Got the UTH big board. Need to update it. We have about three or four players that did not declare going back to school. Uh, but that 1.0 big board, super flex board, you got some two tight end adjustments with Kyle Pitts way up there uh, for, for those different types of formats. Um, new dynasty rankings scrubbed historically uh, for 2021 and beyond. Um, so a lot of exciting stuff going on over there. Uh, that again, uh, have your best off season and best season yet. Uh, so you got Tim Torch, Katie Flower, Jordan McNamara, and myself um, doing a, a variety of different things that you can find over at UTH and then over at Patreon. So that's going to do it for us. And until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. But it, at least it'll at least it'll make things fun till the draft. Do you, do you want to talk about the new uh, new Marvel show that's out? <laughs> I don't even know what you're saying. Okay. I know Sounds what Marvel. Right. I know what Marvel is. It's a verb when you marvel at something. Yes, it is. It's... That's one bit like that might be our biggest divide as people. Yeah, probably the fact that you are like one of those people, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's not. It's not bad at all. Like you are a superhero movie like connoisseur right i mean you you know your I, you know your s i i like the movies a lot i'm i'm not like deep cut uh deep cut comic book guy i, did I you used grow to up collect... and really love star wars like did you watch like did you really love those movies or was that kind of before your time no i didn't uh, i'd never actually i haven't seen the first three movies you buried the lead tim <laughs> you're into all these movies and you haven't seen the original three star wars so you've seen yeah. the other ones You've seen the crappy ones. I, I've I've started watching them, and every time I go to go to watch them, asleep. I fall asleep. <laughs> See, I have an excuse. That's me with the uh, the the uh, Kenneth Branagh Hamlet. I couldn't get through it in high school. I had to watch it. I tried three times, and I just gave up. It's like four hours long. <laughs> but you can't you can't watch the original Star Wars. See, I just I had a one of my one of my best friends, like family friends, when I was growing up, loved Star Wars, and it was right in our heyday. I mean, they came out, and we were like. I mean, when we were kids, it was like in the mid eighties. So it was like right in our wheelhouse, but I just, I did not get it at all. I still don't really get it. <laughs> I, I understand. And, and I think I, I actually enjoy like the second level of like, I watch the shows and then I do have a, a podcast or two that I listen to that actually breaks down the second, second and third level stuff that I don't know. Yeah. And then I go back and watch it again. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's really cool. That's deep. Yeah, yeah it is. Okay. It is. It's, it, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things I, I, I really enjoy. It, it's an escape for me. I, I have like. So are you one that rewatches the movies a lot? Or do you I like, do. Ever, you really enjoy them when you watch them in the theater or you first watch them on, on, you know, on TV or whatever? Both. When, when theaters were open, I, I definitely went to as many like opening nights as I could. You didn't dress up, did you? No, no, nothing okay. like that. So you're removed nothing, nothing from that. Cre- yeah. And you're not like it sounds like you're not big into like the trivians. Like you don't have like movies memorized and like whole storylines and like, no, nothing like that. No, but you just really enjoy them. Yep. Did you have action figures as a kid? A little bit, yeah. Superman, Spider-Man, Batman. Yeah, I, I did have a lot of comic books. Superman was my guy growing up. Green Lantern. I was a big okay. Green Lantern guy. So you lived through the kind of through the comic books a little bit. Yeah. 
Okay. Do you still have all those comic books or did you get rid of them or? Uh, I lost a lot of them in a fire that we had in our house. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When I was in college, we had a fire and, um, okay. do you still do comic books and... or I think, what are they called? The, uh, the, uh, not, what's the term for like the adult books that are graphic novels, graphic novels. There you go. I always thought those were inappropriate novels, but apparently graphic <laughs> implies to the graphics. Yeah. Well, it, it applies to, it's like a, it's a culmination of like multiple comic books on a specific subject. So okay. I, I remember like the first one I ever got was death of Superman uh-huh. and it had like the whole doomsday arc and it was pretty cool. It, it was very memorable. So they just go off on tangents and c- kind of create, secondary storylines or yeah. what, if, what if environments like uh, mm-hmm. back to the future too, where they go back in time and then it's a parallel yeah. reality. Okay. That type and, of and also for me, I had a lot of trouble reading as a kid. So and that was more accessible to you. It, and books. it was more, it was easier for me to follow. Well, it all, well, it also probably got you more motivated, right? Cause you're, yeah. you were interested as opposed to some dry book with no pictures and you know, it was written in probably a more adultish way that was less entertaining for you than Superman or Batman yeah. or whatever. Wow. Very cool. Learning something new. Fun times with Tim. <laughs>